more than half destroyed. What had been the European suburb near the rapids had been burnt down, and bush had grown over the ruins. It was hard to distinguish what had been gardens from what had been streets. The official and commercial area near the dock and customs house survived, and some residential streets in the centre, but there wasn't much else. Even the African cités were inhabited only in corners, and in decay elsewhere, with many of the low, box-like concrete houses in pale blue or pale green abandoned, hung with quick-growing, quick-dying tropical vines, mattings of brown and green. Nasruddin's shop was in a market square in the commercial area. It smelt of rats and was full of dung, but it was intact. I had bought Nasruddin's stock, but there was none of that. I had also bought the goodwill, but that was meaningless, because so many of the Africans had gone back to the bush, to the safety of their villages, which lay up hidden and difficult creeks. After my anxiety to arrive, there was little for me to do. But I was not alone. There were other traders, other foreigners. Some of them had been there right through the troubles. I waited for them. The peace held. People began coming back to the town. The cité yards filled up. People began needing the goods which we could supply, and slowly business started up again. Zabeth was among the earliest of my regular customers. She was a marchande, not a market woman, but a retailer in a small way. She belonged to a fishing community, almost a little tribe, and every month or so she came from her village to the town to buy her goods wholesale. From me she bought pencils and copy-books, razor-blades, syringes, soap and toothpaste and toothbrushes, cloth, plastic toys, iron pots and aluminium pans, enamel plates and basins. These were some of the simple things Zabeth's fisher-folk needed from the outside world and had been doing without during the troubles. Not essentials, not luxuries, but things that made ordinary life easier. The people here had many skills. They could get by on their own. They tanned leather, wove cloth, worked iron. They hollowed out large tree trunks into boats and smaller ones into kitchen mortars. But to people looking for a large vessel that wouldn't taint water and food and wouldn't leak, imagine what a blessing an enamel basin was. Zabeth knew exactly what the people of her village needed and how much they would be able or willing to pay for it. Traders on the coast, including my own father, used to say, especially when they were consoling themselves for some bad purchase, that everything eventually had its buyer. That wasn't so here. People were interested in new things, like the syringes, which were a surprise to me, and even modern things, but their tastes had set around the first examples of these things that they had accepted. They trusted a particular design, a particular trademark, it was useless for me to try to sell anything to Zabeth. I had to stick as far as possible to familiar stock. It made for dull business, but it avoided complications, and it helped to make Zabeth the good and direct businesswoman that, unusually for an African, she was. She didn't know how to read and write. She carried her complicated shopping list in her head, and she remembered what she had paid for things on previous occasions. She never asked for credit. She hated the idea. She paid in cash, taking the money out from the vanity case she brought to town with her. Every trader knew about Zabeth's vanity case. 
It wasn't that she distrusted banks. She didn't understand them. I would say to her, in that mixed river language we used, One day, Beth, somebody will snatch your case. It isn't safe to travel about with money like that. The day that happens, Miss Salim, I will know the time has come to stay home. It was a strange way of thinking. But she was a strange woman. Miss, as used by Zebeth and others, was short for Mr. I was Mr. because I was a foreigner, someone from the far-off coast, and an English speaker, and I was Mr. in order to be distinguished from the other resident foreigners who were Monsieur. That was, of course, before the big man came along and made us all citoyen and citoyenne, which was all right for a while, until the lies he started making us all live made the people confused and frightened, and when a fetish stronger than his was found, made them decide to put an end to it all and go back again to the beginning. Zabeth's village was only about sixty miles away, but it was some distance off the road which was little more than a track, and it was some miles in from the main river. By land or by water it was a difficult journey and took two days. By land, during the rainy season, it could take three. In the beginning Zabeth came by the land way, trekking with her women assistants to the road and waiting there for a van or truck or bus. When the steamers started up again, Zabeth always used the river, and that wasn't much easier. The secret channels from the villages were shallow, full of snags, humming with mosquitoes. Down these channels Zabeth and her women poled and often pushed their dugouts to the main river. There, close to the bank, they waited for the steamer. The dugouts, full of goods, usually food, to be sold to people on the steamer and the barge the steamer towed. The food was mainly fish or monkey, fresh or boucanet, smoked in the way of the country with a thick black crust. Sometimes there was a smoked snake or a smoked small crocodile, a black hunk barely recognizable for what it had been, but with white or pale pink flesh below the charred crust. When the steamer appeared, with its passenger barge in tow, Zabeth and her women pulled or paddled out to the middle of the river and stood at the edge of the steamer channel, drifting down with the current. The steamer passed, the dugouts rocked in the swell, and then came the critical moment when the dugouts and the barge came close together. Zabeth and her women threw ropes onto the lower steel deck of the barge, where there were always hands to grab the ropes and tie them to some bulkhead and the dugouts, from drifting downstream and against the side of the barge, began moving in the other direction, while people on the barge threw down pieces of paper or cloth on the fish or the monkey they wanted to buy. This attaching of dugouts to the moving steamer or barge was a recognized river practice, but it was dangerous. Almost every trip the steamer made there was a report of a dugout being overturned somewhere along the thousand-mile route and of people being drowned but the risk was worth taking. Afterwards, without labor, as a marchand selling goods, Zabeth was towed up the river to the very edge of the town, uncoupling her dugouts by the ruins of the cathedral, a little before the docks to avoid the officials there, who were always anxious to claim some tax. What a journey! Such trouble and danger to sell simple village things, and to take other goods back to the people of her village. For a day or two before the steamer came, there was a market and a camp in the open space outside the dock gate. 
Zabeth became part of this camp while she was in the town. If it rained, she slept in the veranda of a grocery or a bar. At a later date she put up in an African lodging-house, but in the beginning such places didn't exist. When she came to the shop, there was nothing in her appearance that spoke of her difficult journey or her nights in the open. She was formally dressed, wrapped in her cotton in the African style that by folds and drapes emphasized the bigness of her bottom. She wore a turban, a piece of downriver style, and she had her vanity case with the creased notes she had got from people in her village and people on the steamer and barge. She shopped. She paid. And some hours before the steamer sailed again, her women, thin, short, bald-looking, and in ragged working clothes, came to take the goods away. This was a quicker journey, downriver, but it was just as dangerous with the same coupling and uncoupling of the dugouts and the barge. In those days the steamer left the town at four in the afternoon, so it was deep night when Zabeth and her women came to where they had to cast off from the steamer. Zabeth took care then not to give away the entrance to her village. She cast off. She waited for the steamer and the barge and the lights to disappear. Then she and her women pulled back up or drifted down to their secret channel and their nighttime labor of poling and pushing below the overhanging trees. Going home at night. It wasn't often that I was on the river at night. I never liked it. I never felt in control. In the darkness of river and forest you could be sure only of what you could see, and even on a moonlight night you couldn't see much. When you made a noise, dipped a paddle in the water, you heard yourself as though you were another person. The river...